The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers, the podcast that takes deeper dives in order to serve up cooler takes on the Chicago Bears and the NFL. My name is Jeff Burkus. I'm a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by E.J. Snyder, Windy City Gridiron's lead draft analyst. We are doing the second half of our running back uh, episode, and we have been going here for a little over an hour, and we have refreshed the beers. E.J., what's your second beer of the day? Shouldn't we call it an extravaganza at this point? I like it. Let's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's call it an extravaganza. I'm excited. I have a beer from a brewery that I have not tried anything from, which is kind of rare. Uh, this is a brewery called Ten Pin Brewing. Uh, for all you bowling fans out of there, out of uh, a place called Moses Lake, Washington. That's over in eastern Washington, about halfway between here and Wazoo. Uh, their uh, motto is one pin at a time, never tasted so good. Uh, this is a 22-ounce bottle of beer, so it looks like a bowling pin. And this is oh. their Angle Amber Ale. And since we're talking about running backs and the subtlety of the approach to angle and how important that is to gaining extra yards. I thought their angle amber ale was a great, great choice. Well, and the angle route that every good running back needs to run out of the backfield. Uh, that's right. Sounds good. I am, uh, I am breaking my tradition of having a stout on every single podcast. <laughs> So here's the first. There will be more of this uh, in the future because we're starting to get a little warmer. Uh, but I am uh, drinking a beer from Odell Brewing, which is from Colorado. Uh, they do a lot of good stuff. And we picked up, my wife and I picked up a six-pack of a fruited sour called Sippin' Pretty. Um, and I think that this relates to this episode because we have 17 backs we're talking about. There's another four backs that we uh, didn't even – uh, cover because we thought maybe they'd be gone by the time the Bears draft. It's really the one need that they have. The Bears are sitting pretty. I'm sipping pretty. Everybody's happy. So let's open these things up. Seems completely reasonable to me. All right. So there will be pouring today. I don't normally pour. I'm normally drinking out of either a can or a small bottle. But since this is a big 22, we're going to put this in a glass. I always... Uh, Pour it into my Chicago Bears glass. Well, it's good. I, I have a couple know. different Chicago Bears glasses. I was going to say, uh, I don't have a Chicago Bears glass. I have a Chicago Bears um, bottle koozie, but um, it only fits on like 12-ounce bottles, not 22-ounce bottles. So the good thing about pouring this into a glass is I can hold it up to the light, and boy, it's got an awesome brownish-reddish color. Um, 
decent little sort of tan head on it, but that color is exactly what you're looking for in an amber. It just looks caramely and malty and good, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. But it looks good in the light, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I bought this uh, glass a couple years ago, and it looks like a can. I don't know if you've seen these, and that just has. It's funny. I'm of... actually drinking out of one of the glasses that looks like a can. Okay, I kind of like them, and I I don't know why, but I I seem if I have a can of beer, I like to pour it into the glass. It looks like a can. I don't, I, I don't really know why, but I just like that. Um, and then I've got a couple other Bears glasses that are different shapes, but like this glass but anyway yeah i like to pour them out because i like to see how it pours i like to see the color and all that and this is like a ruby red kind of maybe a little bit of a pink uh tint to it and uh very fruity um not overly sour sometimes those sours can get you know puckery uh but this is super good odell makes a lot of really good stuff it's a really good brewery and this is going to be a nice nice spring into summer beer yeah i like odell's stuff i've had their stuff before um not that particular beer um because I like sours, but not not big on fruity. So, um, actually bought a sour when I was at uh, a sour ghost when I was at um, the beer store yesterday. This isn't that, but um, as a first offering from Ten Pin, it's it's pretty smooth. It doesn't it it's not um, it's not sticking up anywhere. There's there's not anything that I'm gonna sort of hang its hat on and say, wow, that's that's really really this or really that. It's it's pretty mild as an amber. Um, very, very drinkable. What's the alcohol in this? 6.1%, so not bad. Um, very low in terms of the IBUs, the International Bitterness Units. So it goes down pretty easy. Um, we'll see how it goes for the rest of the podcast. The, they say in this one that they add a little bit of Himalayan pink sea salt, and I think I can taste that, and I really like that. That's a that's a good little addition to the beer. Nice. Um, all right, well, before we get dive back into the, the prospects, I want to just ask your question about it. Chicago Bears are basically known for two things, middle linebackers and running backs. And that's, of course, highlighted by the GOAT, Walter Payton. And I know that you are of an age where you were able to watch Walter as a kid. Yep. And so I just is that the reason why you're a Bears fan? It is. Um, and it's it's fun for me to get to talk about this. It's It's not the reason I love running back tape, strangely enough, but it is the reason I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I was... Uh, Let's see. I became a Chicago Bears fan in 1983. Uh, so I was at that sort of 10, 11 year old age where, you know, people are starting to choose up sides, Chevy or Ford, who's your football team, you know, hamburgers or hot dogs, whatever it is, the kids are starting to decide. And, and I grew up in upstate New York. And so it was a bit strange for me to be a Bears fan. Um, but I, I didn't really resonate to any of the New York teams. Um, certainly have some family loyalties to the Bills. And, and, you know, lots of people were Giants fans in the early 80s. They were doing really well under Bill Parcells. But there was something about the Bears. as a history and whatever. But in terms of a player, in terms of a personification of a franchise, it was Walter Payton. Walter Payton was still in sort of full struggle mode. The teams around him weren't particularly good. They were building. They were getting to that 85 team that was going to destroy the Super Bowl. But they weren't there yet. And Walter Payton was just that guy that was always trying hard. And uh, just as a person, as a player, um, it, it's what hooked me as a Bears fan. And uh, I'm happy that it did. Um, but I, I think, yeah, you start with Walter Payton, not just as a, as a running back or a bear, but really as a, as a football player, he's probably one of the top five football players that have ever played. Um, certainly the modern game of football, there's a lot of people that have played football through, 
the early history of the league and whatever else. But as a as a total and complete football player, it's very hard to top Walter Payton. Yeah, and I'm, I mentioned last episode, you know, I was born in 82, so... You know, Walter had retired by the time that I was really conscious as a fan. But in my household, he was, you know, held up basically on, you know, the level of a demigod. And, you know, I I, I bought my parents a uh, number 34 Walter Payton jersey for their 34th wedding anniversary, you know, a few years back when that happened. Um, my personal story, and it's not necessarily my personal story, but my family story, is that my, my grandfather, um, who I was quite close with, my mom's dad, he uh, passed away when I was a senior in high school. And uh, at some point during his illness, he went up to the Mayo Clinic and came back and he was like, I saw Walter Payton. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, I saw Walter Payton. I swear it. I swear I saw Walter Payton. He was right next to me in the waiting room at Mayo. And I was like, well, Walter Payton's not sick. What are you talking about? Yes, yeah, this mm. is before the internet was big. I mean, maybe chat sure. rooms or something. But, you know, there's nothing like that out there. He didn't really hear anything. And, you know. Come to find out that, yeah, it, it, he he was sick, and and uh, you know my grandpa, lifelong Bears fan, uh, didn't go over and talk to him. I wish I had a better ending to that story. I think it would have Walter probably would have taken the time to to say hi. His reputation was was such that he he would speak to fans like that, and um, but that was a that was a really big deal, and and they passed away at similar times, and it was very emotional for my family to to go through obviously losing my grandpa, but then um, we we're all diehard Bears fans and so really felt that uh, when he when he left way too early you know that was very uh, powerful and meaningful in, in our house when that happened so um, yeah Walter Payton just uh, huge huge for for my family and then being able to go back and watch some of those highlights and those films you see why people were just so in love with him just such a unique style that he ran with and and just uh, yeah just was just an Iron Man and getting every last yard he could it's just a, an amazing guy to watch um, I'm curious, uh, though, like I, you know, I, I like going back, uh, looking at the history. And so I, I posed this question to you before we started this recording this, but is there a guy that you never got to see? So way back in the Pantheon or maybe, uh, you know, just before you became a fan, but is there a guy that you really like the history of as a running back with Chicago that you never actually got to see? Yeah, there's a lot. We're lucky enough to to be fans of a franchise, you know, a founding franchise uh, that's had so many players. And like you said, really the sort of yin and yang of the Bears is a running back and a middle linebacker. And it's really kind of poetic and fitting that those are the, you know, the sort of stark opposites of each other, one one fighting against the other for yards. Um but tons and tons and tons of running backs uh, in Bears history, and and there's a lot, and you know it was a great question, and I had a lot of fun looking back and and sort of looking over names I knew, but looking a little more deeply. Um, was tempted to go with Red Grange, the Galloping Ghost, probably one sure. of the greatest nicknames ever. Um, you know, just a just a legendary guy, a sort of Paul Bunyan esque guy that uh, tall tales spawned around, and um, I, I tend to be the guy that likes the the B player, not the A player. And, and Grange was definitely the A player. Um, looked at a guy like Bronco Nagurski, but settled on, settled on another guy that I'd heard about who isn't in the hall of fame, uh, as a bear, as you know, uh, many bears are, uh, but yet had a, had a sort of, you know, amazing impact in a short period of time, not unlike Gail Sayers, but it's not Gail Sayers. It's Beatty feathers. Okay. 
bee feathers played on played on teams with uh you know red grange with bronco nagurski with sid luckman um you know the the amount of talent and, and just this kind of history that this guy has uh as a bear is is fascinating but had a very brief career set a rookie rushing record when he came on with the bears had his sort of shining moment in the sun was the first ever running back to gain a thousand yards in a season um as a rookie and we're talking about i think 10 game season at that point is that correct does oh yeah, right? it bounces. It bounce, back then, it bounces all around because yeah. you have the, the Red Grange barnstorming year, and it's like seventeen games, and then you've got years where it's like ten or twelve, or you know, it was very uneven early on. But about twelve games is what it settled in yeah. around that time of thing. Yeah, ten to twelve games. This guy puts up a thousand yards, which is a bigger deal than obviously a thousand yards in sixteen game season, which we have now. Um, but just. Uh, interesting guy had played at Tennessee as a collegian and apparently had a really sort of bouncing and gallopy style um, where he was just all over the place. It was really interesting to hear. Um, I've only ever heard audio interviews with guys like Bronco Nagurski talking about BD Feathers. I've never seen film of BD Feathers. I've seen film of Red Grange, I've seen film of Nagurski, never seen film. So it, it, it's sort of um, as a film junkie, that sort of makes it uh, all the more mysterious. And what was this guy really like? What was this, you know, crazy rookie who played on, on these teams? And again, pro football is a very different animal in those days. But you know, played on these teams with a founder of the NFL, and yet was considered a star of the team. What what did that look like? So Beatty Feathers is my guy, and and didn't make the Hall of Fame because he ended up getting injured hurt a shoulder um, sort of midway through his career and then limped the rest of the way through his career with what they called an immobilizing brace. And all I could think of is, how can you possibly run in no shoulder pads as a running back in those days? And if you've ever seen film, any film from those days, it was an incredibly rough game. How do you go out and play football for peanuts for no money with no shoulder pads and a broken shoulder blade that requires an immobilizing brace and just yeah staggering to me so beady feathers is my guy those guys are a different brand of tough than <laughs> than i think uh, i can really understand uh yeah 1934 uh and statistics just weren't really around in the 20s and so at some point you start getting yardage uh statistics going but 119 carries for a thousand four yards it's an 8.4 yard per attempt <laughs> yeah i love that uh, plus in eight. 11 games so yeah he yeah he killed it that year my guy actually is bronco i, I read a book about bronco uh, a couple years ago i just find him really fascinating huge guy 22 inch neck uh <laughs> like just natural it's not like he was trying for that just yeah. just a ginormous guy i think he was six three and you know he was a fullback but he carried a lot led the team in rushing led the league in rushing a few times and was just this beast of a guy i from what i remember Got into a little bit of a contract dispute with George Halas. Not the only guy. To that Not the only guy, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, got sick of it and said, fine, I can make more money uh, being a pro wrestler. And so he leaves football after a great career, eight years in the league, something like that. A few championships, uh, legendary uh, player, obviously has a Hall of Fame uh, resume already. Leaves, goes and wins the heavyweight uh, champion of the world uh, you know, professional wrestling title at least <laughs> once, if not twice tours, you know, breaks his body apart, uh, comes back in 1943, 
years, like six year span between his his last game, comes back in 1943, mostly plays line. And then there's a couple injuries and he plays running back and just demands the ball and actually takes over and wins a game. Kind of an amazing uh, story to be able to come back at that you know, broken body advanced age, but just how tough he was. I think my favorite story that I read in that book was that uh, he ran so hard, had his head down, ran through like four tacklers and it was in, you know, they're playing their games at Wrigley field, had his head down and ran into the brick and broke the brick, one of the bricks and comes back to the huddle. I said, man, that last guy hit really hard. (laughs) And so, um, just like uh, unbelievable guy, you know. I think I think that's the one guy I think that could play today. Um, I, I'm not sure how many carries he'd get or or what he played. Maybe just play linebacker or something. But it reminds uh, me of a, uh, like an early that. early day uh, Christian Okoye. He might, yeah, absolutely. Just ginormous guy. Yeah, those huge guys, especially back in the 20s and 30s. The average size of a lineman was like 220 pounds. Yeah, imagine what that looked like. I just, yeah, I that's just... crazy. Um, my favorite thing about Bronco is his actual first name. Obviously not Bronco. What is it? Do you know? I don't, actually. It is Bronislaw. Oh, that's right. Bronislaw, yes. S-L-A-U. Bronislaw Nagurski. Um, Canadian-born, uh, Rainy River, Canada, um, and uh, ended up dying in 1990 in the coldest city in the United States, which is International, International Falls. Falls, Minnesota. So, yeah, all kinds of cool stuff about Bronco Nagurski. Yeah, the, great, the book's uh, Monster of the Midway by Jim Dent. I totally recommend it everybody that has an interest in reading about the history to, to pick it up. Fascinating read. Um, I, I want to do the flip side of it, though, too. I want to know, post-Walter, who's your favorite running back that you've watched? Because uh, assumably you've been able to watch most, if not all, of their games post-Walter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah um, watched Walter pretty regularly from 83, 84 on. Um and it really comes down to two guys for me. There obviously been some great running backs since then, and a, and a kind of wide variety of running backs again uh, for the Bears. But it comes down to two guys. It comes down for the guy to the guy that succeeded Walter, Neil Anderson, sure, and Matt Forte, and very different as players, um, very similar in in their approach to the game. Both both fairly quiet, both really professional, um, both very effective. Um, and if I, and again, this isn't, uh, who I think was the better player. This is who my favorite is. And I'd probably give the better player, uh, award to Matt Forte because he, I think he was a better receiver. Um, and he just played at such a high level over a wide variety of teams. Didn't matter scheme or time, um, for so many years. And Neil Anderson had, uh, comparable longevity, but, um, I think his degree of difficulty was higher. Um, and why is that? I think he did the impossible following Walter Payton in Chicago is impossible. Yeah. Right. Following Walter Payton in the NFL really is impossible, but following Walter at Walter's position on the same team in the same city after he's gone is impossible. And Neil Anderson did it incredibly well. Um, I really like Neil Anderson. He's a very quiet professional. He was very solid as a blocker, as a receiver, as a runner, um, not flashy, certainly not anybody that ever called personal attention to himself, um, but was very, very effective for those teams after Walter left. Um, 
and again, in circumstances that you just can't, I mean, how do you, how do you follow the greatest ever? Um, you don't. And he did. And for that, I'll give the nod to Neil Anderson. Well, and he made four straight Pro Bowls. Yeah, he's a great, so, great player. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I love Neil. Neil was Neil Anderson was like the first guy that I remember, you know, toting the rock when I was growing up. So uh, that's kind of how I came into it. Was Neil was the guy, and I love Neil Anderson. Um, Forte is probably my answer, just because I he was so smooth. Mm. Um, but I want to just mention. Thomas Jones. Oh, yes. It was a fantastic three years with Thomas Jones. That was some of the most fun that I've ever had watching Paris football, obviously, the Super Bowl year. And the most angry I've ever been was drafting Cedric Benson and then subsequently trading Thomas Jones a couple years later. Yeah, that was a terrible (laughs) handling of that situation. I I feel you that I I love Thomas Jones out of the University of Virginia. I kind of have a tie to the University of Virginia. I've talked about it before. My cousin's a professor there and always had a tie to UVA. And when he got drafted, I uh, went to the Cardinals and, and I thought, hey, there goes a really good football player. He's just so well-rounded. And he ended up being a bear, right? Never happens. It's kind of like Khalil Mack being a bear. It's just right. you know, great guy goes somewhere else, comes to the Bears, and just really has, I don't want to say a resurgence because he did well with the Cardinals, but really flourishes, really blossoms. And a, a big shout, big shout out to Thomas, Thomas Jones, now Thomas Q. Jones, the actor. Um, again, love watching him play football. And yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good honorable mention. I'm really glad you brought it up because he's, there's so many great ones, but he's one of them. But let's let's uh, let's look forward. Let's uh, let's look to some more candidates for who might be that next back in that pantheon. And before we get into the last, uh, I think nine guys that we want to cover today, um, I want to talk about comps. And I think this is one of those things that some scouts really like to do because it gives someone a, a pretty good sense of who this guy could potentially turn into. And a lot of scouts just run away from it. Where do you come down on putting a a comparison player of uh, someone who's currently in the league or has been in the league with a guy that's going to be drafted this year? That's a great question. Uh, Anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I I have a pretty strong stance on comps. Uh, I really, really dislike player comps. I don't do them typically. Um, the other guy that we've got working on the draft, pretty hardcore, Jacob Infante on, on Windy City, who I have a ton of respect for. Really good guy, great opinions. Also doesn't like comps. I found that out today. Um, and I think there's good reason for that. Player comps are, if you listen to um, like Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, who are, who are absolutely fantastic listens, uh, if, you're, if you're at all involved in the draft or, or interested in the draft. Um, they do comps all the time uh, as both former pro scouts, it, it really in in their minds is kind of a necessary evil because it, it's a question that's going to get asked in the room. And when you're a scout and you're working in that room and they say, but who's he like for all these people that don't watch film and you have to come up with a name. It's just something that's done. I'm lucky enough, uh, I guess, if you want to call it that, that I don't work in those rooms and I don't have to come up with player comps because I think player comps are incredibly fraught. And when I say that, I mean, there's just so much tied up in them. And the question is, what is it about that player that you're really matching up? 
Is it that player when they were coming out from college? Is it that player that landed in a good pro scheme or conversely a bad pro scheme? Is it that player six years into their professional career that has now become an all pro? Like, who are you comparing them to? And that rarely happens in comps. They just say, oh, this guy is that guy. Um, And there's so much more to it. There's so much more nuance that I really don't think comps do it justice. Now, occasionally, you will see me comp a player. So, EJ, why do you do that? Um, I only do that when I think that the resemblance is so incredibly significant that I can't get away from it, that I can't stop thinking about it. Um, There was a guy, uh, John Henry, a back that came out of Tennessee, um, and he was every bit a former Tennessee running back, <laughs> um, whose name escapes me right now. Cause I just thought about it and now it slipped out of my head. But anyways, the two were so incredibly, uh, Travis Henry, sorry, Travis Henry, so yeah. Travis Henry was the Tennessee back and it's John, it's not Henry. I screwed that up. But anyways, um, gosh, I can't remember his name right now. Anyways, the two were so incredibly linked. As I watched one, they just happened to go to the same school, uh, which was really, really rare. But as I watched one, I couldn't get the image of Travis Henry out of my mind as I was watching this guy. I thought, he is so incredibly similar. It's the same guy, right? Then I'll do a comp. That's absolutely fine. But just about any other time that you're going to do a comp, um, there are so many variables, and nobody really gets into that. They just go, this guy is that guy. Um and I think that's, it's just, it sets people up in a way that I don't think is terribly useful. So for the most part, I'll stay away from comps. All right. Well, I won't ask you because I don't want to, uh, you know, offend you or anything. So um, let's, uh, let's dig into the, the prospects that we have remaining. And I know you've got a lot of guys. Oh, we got a lot of guys. You got a couple guys in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so let's start with one of those guys. How about James Williams from Williams from Washington State? Yeah, James Williams. A lot of people talking about him. Um, Washington State um, certainly getting some draft attention this year. They got three or four draftable players: James Williams, the tailback; Gardner Minshew, the quarterback; and Andre Dillard, the tackle, uh, who's quite good. Uh, but Williams getting kind of a low-key buzz about a guy that could be kind of under the radar for pass-catching offense, and with good reason. Um, Williams has a really good change of direction. He's got a decent sidestep move, decent quickness. Uh, His ability to adjust to the ball uh, is incredible. He's easily the best receiver in this class. And what do I mean? Wow, that's, that's a big statement. There's all these running backs, and lots of them catch footballs. What do you mean? He had 70 plus catches Oh, wow. This season. <laughs> okay. Not in his career. There are there are running backs who catch like 50 balls if they're lucky in their career. There's some running backs that have come out, very very high-level running backs who've come out. I think Darius Geis had something like 30 or 40 catches in his career at LSU. This guy had 74 catches this year. Wow. He was Gardner Minshew's security blanket. A lot of times that's the tight end. In, in Mike Leach's offense, if Gardner Minshew had nothing, he threw it to James Williams. 70-plus um, catches. That indicates an, a high-level ability to catch the ball, adjust to the ball, and do something with it um, when you've got it. When you've got that many repetitions, you're, you're going to get good at it. And James Williams is very good at it. He's got a nice little spin move to reverse combo that he uses um, occasionally. Uh, on the downside, runs a little upright. His vision as a runner is 
it isn't great. He's not a terribly creative guy. Um, he's got decent quickness forward. That means he accelerates kind of quickly towards a hole, but not as much laterally. He doesn't have that great lateral acceleration. Um, uh, something you said a couple of weeks ago, gets what's blocked, but little else. That's James Williams. He's not going to run through people. He's not going to run a ton of, break a ton of arm tackles. Um, he's going to get what's there as a runner and not much else. Runs well with really big holes, but doesn't make many people miss. And does very little blocking because 90% of the time, he flares out of the backfield as a safety valve receiver. So he's very rarely there to block. Um, If I had to do a player comp, (laughs) since we just talked about comps, um, I have a comp. And I think it's a really good one. And his name is Golden Tate. And you're like, wait, Ed, that's a wide receiver. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it is. He's caught so many balls, and he's so good at it. He has a similar size, and he has a very similar play style on the field. Um, And it seems weird to comp a running back to a wide receiver, but if James Williams is anybody, I think he he could grow into Golden Tate, and that's not a bad thing. Is he a straight-up, you know, runner's running back? I don't think he is. Uh, But he's he's got a great skill, um, you know... uh, Matt Harmon, if you follow him on Twitter, um, used to work for the NFL, now works for Yahoo Sports. Matt Harmon talks about a trump card, a, a single skill that's so good that you'll pick a guy for it. If James Williams has a trump card, it's his, it's his receiving ability and the creation after the catch. And that, to me, is pretty valuable in today's NFL. You put that guy in the slot and let him go. Um, people have talked about the same thing with Duke Johnson in Cleveland. Such a good receiver that you could basically put him out in the slot and just play him there full time. I think James Williams is a guy like that. Well, Tate's such a good guy in the open field with the ball in his hand. He's such a good runner for a receiver. So I, I totally understand what you're trying to say because Tate has those running back skills after he gets the ball. So um, that's pretty interesting. Maybe that's where they'll, where someone will move him. Maybe that's that's a good path for him to find some uh, you know some play in the NFL. Um, I. Uh, this next guy I'm actually kind of excited about. I've watched a little tape from him, Justice Hill from Oklahoma State. What have you seen of this guy? Yeah, I was really excited about this as well, as much for Oklahoma State's lineage with backs um, as anything else. Uh, but Justice Hill, certainly if you watch highlights of him, the thing that's, that sticks out first is his speed around the edge. Um, he's got it. He's got that ability on that on that wide pitch play to to get around the corner and, and really put some distance in. Um, he's a good hands catcher in terms of a receiver, but he could get north more quickly. That is, he he doesn't necessarily transition from catching the ball to getting upfield as quickly as I'd like, but he's pretty solid at doing it. As a runner, he's got very good burst or pop, um, that acceleration, that ability to sort of be sudden and get by people. He's pretty shifty in the hole. He can hop arm tackles. He's not going to break a ton of them with pure power. Um, but he, he tends to sort of pick and choose his way through the middle and, and do a pretty good job at that. He's got a nice functional spin move. If there's a crack, he can exploit it. And I wrote a note, Boise State run. Um, he had a run against Boise State where there's a very thin crease in the middle. He got through it, put on one of those really good sort of 80 degree jukes where he just hopped out of a guy's way and then turned on those jets and it went for a big big gain sort of everything all together in the same run something i noticed in his tape that was pretty interesting is he's shiftier in the middle of the field than he is on the edge on the edge he's pretty much counting on speed he's not so much on moves or or hopping over people or spinning back to the middle of the field he's just really trying to outrun people in the middle he really sort of puts on that that juke face and tries to tries to get people on the ground that way so um, 
on the downside for Justice Hill, gets a little too busy with his feet sometimes. He's got the good quick feet, but he should either kind of settle in and be patient or push, and he just kind of jackrabbits around, and that ends up taking some negative some negative runs. Um, lacks a little bit of patience. Vision is a question mark. There were some runs where I thought, oh, that was pretty good. He saw the, he saw the opening and went for it. And there were other runs where he just kind of piled in, um, or again, lacked a little bit of patience and, and didn't see something that was open. So I'm not, his vision's kind of up and down. It's not bad, but it's not great. Um, and as a blocker, he's not great. He's okay as a cut blocker. Um, you'll, you'll see two distinct kinds of blocking out of backs. One is they just dive at a guy's feet and try and get him down to give their quarterback, you know, one to two more seconds, or they try and stand up and really, you know, oppose them. He's okay as a cut blocker. His stand-up is bad. Um, let's let's just call it what it is. There's a couple of Olay blocks. You know what Olay blocks are? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he had a couple of Olay blocks on his quarterback who I, who I felt pretty bad for, where he's like, I got him, I got him, I got him. Oh, I don't got him. Uh, and so as a stand-up blocker, I, I wouldn't give him high marks. But really, if you're looking at Justice Hill, you're looking at that outside zone team where you can give him a pitch, get him to the edge, and, and let him use that very good burst pop to sort of break through, maybe break an arm tackle and, and go 50 yards. That's that's the highlights that get you excited. Well, we used to call them lookout blocks. <laughs> Turn yeah. around, look out. <laughs> look out, here comes. Yep, uh, he had a couple of those on tape, which which is which is never great. Well, the, the next guy I actually have not seen any tape of, uh, Utah State guy Darwin Thompson. What did you see on him? Yeah, I hadn't either. Um, uh, it's always fun. Um, you ever you ever go watch a movie where you've seen like zero previews? You don't even really know what it's about. That's the best. Yeah, I think it's the best. And Darwin Thompson was exactly that. I was like, Darwin, Darwin, Darwin Thompson. I mean, a very common sounding name. But I was like, no, nah, I don't know who they're talking about. And I was like, Utah. No, not Utah. Utah State. Oh. I definitely don't know who they're talking about. So Darwin Thompson, Utah State, little guy. Um, he's 5'8", um, and he is what I would call compactly built. Um, but he's he's pretty interesting. Um, for a small guy, he's got really good contact balance. He can run through some pretty strong tackles. He's a good, solid receiver. He catches the ball quite a bit. Uh, I watched his game versus Michigan State. He caught three balls in a row, like three three downs in a row they threw it to him um makes catches even in traffic which is not common for a running back a lot of times those catches running backs are making out on the edge swing routes um bubble screens tunnel screens stuff like that they're not really catching in traffic he makes catches even in traffic and his ability and this is something that came really clear on the second tape his ability to adjust well to poorly thrown balls is um let's just say rare uh his quarterback is pretty interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of put a note on him and watch him progress um he's a he's a big young athletic guy he's not terribly accurate but uh darwin thompson's ability to sort of twist around and grab the ball thrown behind him and then attack is really really rare uh, and he's very good at it. He runs tough inside near the goal line. He breaks tackles even at his size. Again, 5'8", 200 pounds even. Um, works very hard as a pass blocker. So again, it's not size, it's want to as a pass blocker. And he can get under a guy's pads and wedge him up uh, and does that pretty well. We see Tariq Cohen do that as well. Nice cuts when he puts his foot in the ground. Um, ability to make multiple guys miss, and that's not common. The ability to make one guy miss, pretty common. The ability to make two or three guys miss on the same run, not as common, and he's got it. Um, very good stop move where he's going along, just puts on the brakes, guy goes in front of him, and they can restart again. And he's incredibly athletic. He's 5'8", and 
Any any guesses that is vertical? <laughs> oh no, I, I wouldn't even know. Forty. Oh wow. Yeah, he's five eight, and he has a forty inch vertical jump, and it shows up on tape. He you know leaping over the leaping over his blockers to get in the goal line, leaping over um, guys that are trying to tackle him. Um, shows up on tape. He that athleticism is not just testing; it it shows up in pads. Um, downsides for Darwin. Will get dragged down by larger players. A DT gets a hand on him. He's he's probably going down. He's only 200 pounds now. He keeps his feet moving and he churns, but look, he just doesn't have that much mass. So he's not really meant for a traditional attack, but with the right touches and some small gaps, this guy can absolutely make an impact. And clearly he reminds me of Tariq Cohen. When I was done, I was like, this guy's fast. He has the ability to attack. He's physical. He's a really good receiver. This is... This is Tariq Cohen light or a poor man's Tariq Cohen. So somebody asked me on Twitter, because he's so much like Tariq Cohen, do you think they'd draft him? I don't know. We can talk about redundancy a little bit, but um, a lot of people seem to be taking the approach that all the Bears backs have to be able to do different things or else. And I think that's kind of counterintuitive because the whole reason they trade Jordan Howard was because when Jordan Howard was on the field, you knew what was going to happen. Um, I think redundancy is not a bad thing. If Tariq Cohen goes down with an injury and you have 80% of Tariq Cohen in Darwin Thompson, is that a bad thing? No, your offense stays largely the same. So I don't think redundancy in a, in a running back position necessarily is bad because they will miss time. Running back is one of the positions that gets banged up the most. Um, so Darwin Thompson, very interesting guy, and it was super fun. It was that film that I did not see the previews on. And, and again, he starts a little bit slow, but he took over some of those games um, in the back half, and that was really interesting to see. I actually ended up watching a third game of him because I was like, does he do this every game, or was this just, you know, was this just a couple of games? And I watched him versus Michigan State versus San Jose State, and then for good measure watched him versus BYU. And, and again, um, all, all the... Pretty much all the second halves, he he tended to take over. He tended to sort of have those big plays where he'd been pushing, 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 and then somebody missed, and and he's got the speed to go the distance as well. So really interesting little player. I like the idea of another Tariq Cohen on on the squad. So yeah. uh, that's that's pretty interesting to me, and it's particularly if you think about you know Mizell's spot on the roster. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather have a, another Tariq clone, but yeah. Yeah, look at, I had to look it up. Uh, Utah State is the Aggies. Yes. Um, their uh, mascot is Big Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of creativity in the naming. Uh, no, uh, blue, white, and silver on the uniforms. Definitely uh, a little bit. Looks a little bit like uh, University of Nevada, which, uh, again, Utah, Nevada. Some folks get that confused. Um, but Utah State, not not a ton of players coming out of Utah State. And, um, you know, not so much strength of schedule, so you have to um, project. That's where I sort of missed on Tariq Cohen was like, hey, he looks pretty fast against, you know, he came from North Carolina A&T. <laughs> so their strength of schedule not great and it's like oh he looks pretty fast versus you know you know ecu was some of their bigger competition but it, it, you know how is he going to look against the guys that come from georgia lsu um you know tennessee from ohio state how's he going to look against those guys turns out Tariq cohen's fast against everybody um but i underestimated him a little bit just based on his sort of strength of schedule yeah, well, I, I'm interested. Well, it, the next guy is in your backyard. Yep. So, Miles My, Gaskin, Washington, what did you see about him? Yeah, Miles Gaskin's a Husky. Uh, he's right up the road. I think he's a lot like Matt Forte uh, in the fact that he's quiet, that he's underrated, that, you know, coming out of Tulane, a lot of people said Matt who. Um, Miles Gaskin is a pro's pro. 
uh, he does everything pretty well. Um, name your favorite runners in history that came from Pac-10 or Pac-12 schools. Because there have been a lot of them. A lot of backs at UCLA, a lot of backs at USC, guys who came out of Arizona, guys who come out of Washington, Man, Oregon's, yeah. Oregon's had a ton. Stephen Jackson, obviously. Yeah, Stephen Jackson, right? Oregon like, State. Yeah, there's there's tons of guys. You're an Oregon State alum. That's the joke for everybody <laughs> at home. But, you know, Stephen Jackson, tremendous back, right? Absolutely. Had a great career. Um, there's a ton of guys that have come out of the Pac-10 and Pac-12. All the USC backs, the UCLA backs, like I said. If I had, to, if you had to guess where Miles Gaskin ranks in Pac-12 history in career yards with all those guys, what number would you pick? Oh, I don't know, twenty-five. Yeah, seems about right. I think that's probably pretty fair. You know what the actual number is? What is it? Third. Oh wow, that's really high. That's really high for a conference like the Pac-12 that has had a ton of younger, ton of really good ball carriers and offensive threats. Miles Gaskin is third in Pac-12 history in career yards. He is a pro's pro. He gets it done. So he's got enough speed to get to the outside. He's extremely patient. Patience may be his number one quality as a runner. He's an easy receiver. By easy, I mean very natural. Um, doesn't look at all upset when the ball gets to him. Doesn't fight it at all. Catches it very naturally and gets upfield. He does all kinds of things that are incredibly subtle, and this is kind of like Matt Forte. He he doesn't do anything that is crazy flashy. He's not going to have those, you know, hard, hard, hard 90-degree cuts that just make you sort of take your breath away. He's slippery little cuts and stutter steps, and he uses them for big yards. He's incredibly good at setting people up. Sometimes he gets handed to him as a blocker by by bigger rushers, but generally he gets in the way he does the job. He's a really nice runner in the middle, sets people up beautifully again with his steps and his pre-steps. He's really good at knowing exactly when he's free laterally and can get vertical. This is something you see over and over and over again on his tape. He's running out on that pitch or stretch play, and he knows as soon as he is free and can get north, and he does it like a surgeon over and over and over again. Good contact balance and effort. Um, very tough near the goal line. Um, surprisingly tough because he doesn't run that tough in the rest of the field. But when he's near the goal line, he smells it. He's one of those guys. Very good balance and burst off the receiver, off the edge as a receiver. So when he gets that ball, he is one of those guys that can turn it north very quickly and make some yards. Overall, Gaskin isn't the fastest or the biggest or the best, but he gets every inch out of everything, and somebody's going to get a value with him. He's just, he's subtle, so people sort of underrate him, but he's very good at most things. The 945 collegiate carries bother you at all? Yeah, yeah. No, he has four full years of carries in the Pac-12, absolutely. Now, he tends not to take huge hits, but come on, we all know running backs, the mileage adds up. It is absolutely a consideration, no doubt. Does it bother me? No, because he's been relatively healthy. Again, guys have different bodies, right? Some some guys just have bodies that don't hold up. Some guys, he's not been a guy that's been dinged up. He's been available um, for that program, you know, pretty much 
time in and time out. You haven't seen any of those sort of one-hit wonders come in as subs and, and stay as starters. Like, he owns that spot and has for the last four years. There hasn't really been any question. Um, is it a consideration in the back of your mind? Yeah, you're probably, you know, are you going to get more than the first contract out of him? Maybe not. But, again, the average NFL career under four years for where you're going to get Miles Gaskin, again, where you think he's going to go in the draft. Everybody's like, Miles Ga- Gaskin, who's that, right? You know, fourth, fifth round pretty easily i'd say i would not be at all surprised if miles gaskin was available in the fifth round just because there's no buzz about him at all you get miles gaskin in the fifth round and you run him for four years as a pro and then he's out of his rookie contract like who cares nothing wrong with that (laughs) nothing wrong yeah No, that sounds good. What about uh, Karan Higdon from Michigan? Like a little bit of buzz about him. Uh, yeah, some buzz. And and I again, I went in with not much uh, background on Karan Higdon. I was really kind of open slate looking for something. There's not much there in my mind. Um, good, solid initial cut. He has longish steps. He doesn't take those short, choppy steps, but he does cover ground with those steps. It's not like he's wasting time. Um, he can make people miss. People will always say, if I if I say, oh, he can't make anybody miss, people will send me the one highlight where he did. You know, yeah, he can make people miss, but he doesn't do it with regularity. Um, for the negatives, he's not overly quick or fast. He doesn't really have either one of those qualities. He lacks a lot of vision. He just sort of piles in and pushes, and with Michigan's line, that ends up, getting him yards he stops his feet on contact big negative for me he can barely get the edge what do you mean barely i mean he gets there but he very rarely gets yards after he gets there he might beat a guy around the corner but he gets like a yard or two and then he gets pushed out he's not one of those guys that cleanly makes the edge and makes people pay for it he breaks very few tackles he doesn't look like he's much in pass routes from what i saw and he gets very little that isn't blocked. And because Michigan's line is usually pretty solid, a lot gets blocked. So he looks okay. But my question is, when he goes to a line in the pros that, you know, um, on on balance may not be as good as his Michigan line was in college, what, what does he really get? Now, is a guy like that capable of coming into the league and putting up yards? He absolutely can. I think of all those Denver backs after Terrell Davis, right? They just kind of reeled off one after another, after another Mike Anderson and every other one um, after him. And they all got a thousand yards because they had a very good zone blocking scheme and they, and they railed off yards. Karan Higdon's going to need a scheme like that. If, if it's at all dependent on him to be the source of creating those yards, I think people are going to be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, if you can't get it done in the Big Ten, I don't think you're going to be able to get it done at the next level. Uh, not exactly a conference full of speedsters. <laughs> uh, um, what about uh, Temp? I was surprised that there was a Temple guy. Right, uh, right. Armstead from Temple. Yeah, and this is interesting to Bears fans because uh, the Bears have actually visited with him. Um, this is one of their top 30 visits. Um, now, it's spelled Ryquel, but every announcer I ever heard said Rockwell, which sounds way cooler. I would, If my name was spelled that way, I would definitely go by Rockwell. Uh, but Rockwell Armstead, uh, fourth-year senior out of Temple, big guy, 5'11", 220. Um, a good, solid 220. Interesting guy. Again, went in with a very empty slate. I'd seen um, very limited tape of him i'd seen temple play maybe once against one of the defenders i was looking at um i was impressed good hard launch 
hard, subtle cut, um, carries guys at his size, absolutely uses his size. For his size, his feet are really good for a 220-pound guy. He's got a good spin move. What? Uh, not typically what you see 220-pound guys do. Um, nice contact balance, um, but uh, Temple's line, not great. He doesn't have a ton of places to go in most of the tape you looked at. Um, <laughs> uh, one of our favorites, Darnell Savage, uh, the safety for Maryland. I watched the, the temple game versus Maryland and, uh, he got smoked on a flare pass by Darnell Savage. <laughs> Darnell Savage came in like a missile and just destroyed him. He's an effective blocker, knows how to use his size. He's got very good speed to the hole. Um, I, <laughs> I wrote this line in my, in my notes, too bad his line couldn't open a soda can. <laughs> um, uh, nice little double cuts to stay out of contact moving forward. Uh, not typical to see guys that big have the ability to want to miss guys. They usually want to run over guys. He, he's very subtle with his footwork. Um, nice, uh, nice burst finishes his runs going forward. Um, again, showed that spin move again, really nice footwork for guys his size breaks one loose. When he gets loose, he's got good speed. Doesn't have great downfield vision. That means when he gets free, he's kind of looking around like, what do I do now? Um, he doesn't have a plan if that's the i mean i guess probably most running backs don't have a plan but he doesn't look like he's a really good ad libber either um decent runner between the tackles but he's not particularly special there he pushes hard um but he's got just great athleticism and at that size to have that quick a feat and the ability to um sort of cut and go he's going to do great in a one cut system if he ever gets there um he can kind of pick that hole and then use that speed and that size. He, I could see him getting some real yards when he gets to the pros. Um, on the downside, on lateral runs, sometimes he needs to pick a line sooner. Um, we talked in this in the last pod about um, Travion Williams, uh, also in this pod uh, with Miles Gaskin. That ability to know when you need to turn north, sometimes his clock's just a tick slow on that. Can push a small crease as a as a guy at that size. They line him up in the slot a couple times. I think that's more than a diversion. Um, he doesn't really look like a, a wildly good receiver. Um, versus Boston College, he busted off a 75 middle yard run TD off a broken tackle, just smashed a guy up the middle and then took off. Sometimes he slips, loses his footing because he's charging so hard. Uh, puts effort into blocking, needs some work there. I think with technique, it'll clean up. Um, but again, you see footwork out of a guy that's 220, sidesteps, spins, um, nice sharp cuts to avoid contact and extend the run. Um, all that stuff's on his tape. So oh, a lot of the things that people said about Devin Azigbo, I actually saw on Armstead's tape. And, and that's pretty exciting. I think he's going to go fairly late. You know, this is a fourth, fifth, sixth round guy that, uh, you know, he's got. I think he's got more potential than Ozigbo does. So um, if you're looking for a big guy with speed and that one cut ability, Armstead might might be your jam. That's pretty interesting. Guy from Temple. All right, I'm, he's on the radar. Yep. Um, next guy, I'm, I'm generally against anybody from Ohio State, but you keep telling me to scout the player, not the helmet. It's so. true. It's true. Mike Weber. Uh, Ohio State guy, what would you see on him? Well, I was excited about Weber because I thought he might be an under-radar guy. The Bears have had interest. In fact, Nagy ran his pro day workout. Um, so, uh, 
that's that's pretty interesting. Says there's definitely a high level of interest there. I went in thinking, all right, what am I going to see here? Again, not a guy I'd heard a ton about, and I thought, oh, maybe there's some buried skills here, and the Bears definitely have interest. So, you know, I should be watching really closely. I did. I watched him versus Michigan and Indiana. Um, he's a solid blocker, but that's not really a surprise from Ohio State. We talked about Zeke Elliott in the last podcast being one of the best pass blockers I've ever seen. They they teach that skill very well. Decent feet through the hole, but doesn't look overly quick. Has the ability to win on some pass routes. Um, Haskins missed him on a couple of wheel routes where he where he got where he got free, but Haskins just didn't hit him. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback for OSU. He's got sort of round cuts and sort of weaves his way more than cuts, but that works okay. Um, I was really surprised by the run game design from Ohio State through all of his tape. It's pretty limited. Uh, People think of Ohio State as sort of uh, offensively progressive. Um, Tape didn't show that. The chances he got were what I would call pretty straight runs. Um, So maybe there's more there that the offense didn't let him showcase, but sure didn't look like it on his tape. Really good balance, but he doesn't re, uh, redirect very quickly. He looks a little bit stiff-hipped. When he does break through, he's got more than a little burn to him. The first three steps are pretty good in a straight line. He can he can sort of step away from people once he gets through, um, but he didn't do that too much. Decent spin move, but not great. Loses his balance and drive. Like After a spin move, he's pretty much going down anyways. Decent first cut, but it takes an extra step. This is... This is something with running backs, just like it is with edge defenders. There are guys that get around the corner taking one less step, and they get to the quarterback a half second quicker. Um, There are running backs that take one less step on their cut and therefore have to dodge one less guy. He's one of those guys that takes an extra step. It might take him three steps to redirect from sideways to forward, and that's not awesome. Okay contact balance, but sells out and tends to get out of control. So if he sees a guy coming, he's going to lean into him really hard, um, might bang him down, but he's not going to come out of that in good position to do anything else. Um, sharp cuts slow him down. Had a fumble versus Indiana. You know, might be a one-time thing. I didn't really look at his fumble rate. He's decent burst, but not terribly shifty, and that's kind of how his whole tape was. He was just decent. But nothing made me say, go get Mike Weber, right? So solid back, big conference, looks capable. I, I wouldn't bang the table for him. Uh, I'm crossing him off. I mean, you got to really sell me on an Ohio State guy. Uh, you're not selling me on no, him. So. No, and I shouldn't. I, I didn't see anything there that made me jump up and down. Well, let's move to the next guy because uh, I'm pretty interested in him. Uh, Bryce Love from Stanford. Yeah, Bryce Love is is a favorite of mine. Uh, has been since his, you know, really big season, uh, not last year, year before, before he was injured, uh, when he was up for the Heisman. Bryce Love is a, is a very interesting guy, and he has some limitations, but he is a tremendously fascinating player. Watch him versus Notre Dame and versus San Diego State. Something I found out, Stanford's line is typically very good. They usually put a lot of players in the pros. They've got a lot of linemen um, who graduated and gone to the pros um this year they are not good and their offensive design under david shaw not very good either so some of his looks have been i don't know what the best way to say that is suppressed i guess not a huge guy but runs in space and runs with a lot of power and lean almost always gets extra yards i put up a twitter thread about bryce love from where he gets hit to where he lands is usually anywhere between four and seven yards later and he does it tape after tape after tape He's very patient, but he can put his foot in the ground and really get upfield. 
decent blocker for his size again has the want to very quick to the edge on the screen very good burst once he's decided where he's going versus notre dame i wrote here's why you love him burst up the middle two hard cuts shed the tack gone for the td and that was versus an eight-man box um he has that ability to change a game by running um Shedding guys or cutting does not slow him down. He's like Travion Williams there. He's always making forward progress and keeps picking up yards. Um, Runs with pop, even versus two defenders. When he gets double teamed, he'll lean in and keep those feet driving. Easy speed to make the edge and turn it up. He's not a guy that struggles to make the edge. He can make it and make yards after that. Um, Routinely breaks tackles behind a line of scrimmage and threatens the D with speed. I wrote, Stanford's O does not do him any favors. Nagy's might. This is a guy with a lot of skills. We talked about the skills that the Bears were looking for in the last podcast. I think because his offensive design wasn't great, because he was hurt, because he didn't have the Heisman hype this year, this guy might go really low, and he would be a steal for the Bears and Nagy. Yeah, I really like this guy. I mean, again, I don't watch nearly the amount of tape that you do, but um, from what I can tell... He's really well-liked on Stanford's campus. Everything you hear about him is just character, 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 through the roof. Uh, big fan of that, bringing in guys that are going to integrate into the locker room well. It seems like that we approach that Nagy's bringing, this guy, seems like he would really um, embrace that from everything I've read. So really interested in this guy. But last guy on the list, home stretch. Uh, you know, we're on the two-yard line. Uh Daryl or Darrell Henderson? Uh, it's Daryl. Uh, yeah, it looks it looks like Darrell, but it's Daryl Henderson from Kentucky. And we're going to have to talk about Bruce Anderson, too. But we'll talk about Darrell Henderson first. Uh, Darrell Henderson, the second back at Kentucky, Benny Snell being the first. Um, Darrell Henderson was really interesting because he had very high highs um, in his in his, like, his highlight tapes. He's, he's a home run hitter. He's a little guy that can push a crease with speed and score from way out. And does so with with kind of some regularity. I watched him versus Houston and versus uh, University of Central Florida. His game about universe, uh, versus University of Central Florida was, again, the conference championship for the SEC South. And I, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen a more impactful game for a running back. That's saying something. So into this game he breaks two tackles on an inside run and pops a 62 yard td that's 25 seconds into the tape 25 seconds into the cut up he takes a wildcat snap bounces off a guy and scores at 54 seconds into the tape he takes another wildcat snap he gets another td at a minute 39 into the tape then he takes a middle run read handoff for an 82 yard touchdown at two minutes and three seconds into the tape there's four more minutes of tape and i'm thinking Holy crap. This guy scored like four times, right? Right. What else can he possibly do? I wrote, this is insane uh, in my notes. He continues to take the wildcat snaps and ripping off big runs. <laughs> um, so, of course, he takes a wildcat snap and throws a touchdown like a minute later. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, uh, this is impossible. And UCF was a really highly regarded team this year. Um, he just massacred them and because it's college football they lost the game 
<laughs> UCF came back and beat them, but that, I mean, how can you ask a, a, a running back to do more than score on like four out of his first ten or six touches and then throw a touchdown? Yeah, he's and a lot of this was coaching. We talked about that angle route in the last podcast. If if the University of Kentucky coaches had adjusted the way UCF was playing was this big halo shell defense, and they were leaving the entire middle of the field. If this guy had run an angle route like three times, he would have had three more touchdowns. He's that home run hitter, takes big hits and keeps on churning. He's not super huge. He's got okay speed to make the edge. His cuts aren't crazy sharp. He can make one, but he can't make... He's not one of those guys that can stack cuts. He looks like an outside zone guy to me. He's willing blocker, but he's not a great pass blocker. But he's just got that ability to take the ball in his hands and go for it. Now, do you pay for that one trick? Um, some people have even suggested moving up for Darrell Henderson. I, I don't see that because, again, there's going to be a lot of other guys that you could pick from. But, man, is that skill something else. When he gets that ball, um, takes the one cut, maybe breaks one tackle, uh, which he does fairly regularly, he's electric. Well, I think the one thing we're driving home with these episodes is that there are a lot of interesting packs out there. So many choices. Yeah. So many choices. But we've got to talk about Bruce Anderson. We skipped him. North Dakota State University. Um, I posted a whole Twitter thread on him. People can follow up on that. But he shows the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. He shows power in the middle. He shows some speed. And he shows some violence in his running and his blocking. North Dakota State's scheme is a little bit different. Easton Stick is their quarterback. You may have heard that name from the Senior Bowl and everything else. He's getting some play himself as a running back because he's such a good runner. Bruce Anderson ended up blocking for him a lot because of uh, designated quarterback keeper runs and stuff. And, man, he is a great run blocker. He's a great pass blocker. Uh, I posted uh, on Twitter um, him taking a seam route and hopping over a guy and running 75 yards for a touchdown. I also posted him absolutely abusing a South Dakota State safety by facepalming his helmet and just turfing him with a stiff arm um so he shows power shows ability inside and outside again level of competition is an issue but bruce anderson is a guy i think is being oh pretty wildly underrated and again should be available later in this sort of wide field of backs and shows a lot of skills that you could develop so well-rounded guy not the name recognition of a guy like travion williams but if you're going to wait and pick a back later um bruce anderson could be your guy well and you know, you showed a clip against my alma mater, uh, one of my alma maters anyway, uh, University of Northern Iowa. And yep. There's That's the guy one where he took the screen pass or the scene pass yes. and went like pff, 75 yards. That That's just, I, I put woof, this is big dog stuff because he, that's a play you could make at any level. I mean, that's, that's a, he looks so fluid catching that scene pass and just hopping over the guy and going 75 yards. It's, it's spooky. Well, and my guy, David Johnson, yep. came from you and I and has done pretty well for himself in the Ooh. league. So definitely can get a guy from that level of competition that can come in at running back. You think we could get a, him from the Cardinals? I mean, Josh Rosen's available. Why isn't Why isn't David Johnson available? Well, I don't think you want that contract. He signed a very nice deal. He Good did. for him. Um, not something that the Bears can fit under their cap, though. True. Good story. Good story. All right. Um, well, that sounds probably like the end of it. Whew. Are you tired? I'm tired. Yeah. That's a lot of guys. Well, you did most of the talking. I did most of the drinking. But um, yeah, I mean, oh, was, we need to yeah, we do need guys. to check in on the beers. Um, how was yours? Well, I definitely finished mine. I think it's really <laughs> good. I, I we this is uh you know my wife actually drank the first four. Um, 
not like today or anything. <laughs> I was going to say it, all at once, Jeff. That's impressive. Uh, but, but she's like, oh, there was one left. And so I think she was actually a little <laughs> surprised. Uh, I didn't get it. I, yeah. I, but uh, yeah, I, I hid one and then there was one, there was one left in the six pack holder, but super good. Uh, definitely something that's going to be really nice to sit on the porch when it gets warmer. Nice. Yeah, this is, again, my first beer from Ten Pin Brewing. I will definitely give them another chance. This is their Angle Amber Ale, and I did pour the second half of the 22 into my can-shaped glass. I'm not quite finished with it, which is probably a good thing. It means I'm not slurring or burping a lot during the end of the podcast. But no, um, definitely a sessionable amber, uh, reasonable amount of alcohol. Nice, smooth finish, not too much to it. It's not overly complex, so you could drink a, a fair amount of this. Again, not too much bitterness, not too much sweetness, just something you could put down and um, really reasonable. I got to say, I've had uh, done two of these podcasts today and, and I've had both good beers, so no complaints from me. But moving on, we got to get out of here. The podcast itself has its very own Twitter follow, so go ahead and give us a follow there. Send all your feedback about your favorite beers, beers you want us to try, players you want us to look at, and that is at Bears Over Beers. Jeff is at Gridironborn. I am at the Draftsman FB, as in football. And as always, we love hearing from you uh, here or on Windy City Gridiron, where we're both contributors. And uh, in the meantime, I hope this has satiated most of your RB draft crushes. If not, go ahead and send me a message on Twitter. Again, at the Draftsman FB. I'll see if I can take a look at the guy you're interested in, if we didn't cover him here. And in the meantime... Uh, I know you're hungry for more. I don't know that we've got a a presage of what the next Bears Over Beers will be, but uh, it's coming, rest assured. We will get one more out before the draft, at least. And in the meantime, bear down. Thanks, everybody.